Hello, and welcome to the Property Solopreneur podcast, a show for property investors and developers who want to build and grow their own profitable businesses. I'm sharing with you my decades of property experience and interviewing many other successful property people who are happy to share their varied and priceless knowledge freely. Business doesn't need to be hard, and nor do you need to be lucky. But as a certified strategist, I know you need a plan to work to. And a good start is by listening to other people's successes and failures. Why reinvent the wheel? This allows us to have a more in-depth knowledge of the wider property world. Hello, and welcome to this week's Property Solopreneur. Now, sooner or later, I think every property investor is going to encounter the planning department and its offices, because understanding the basic rules and how it works and how their offices work is really critical for getting the most out of even something as simple as permitted development rights. You may, of course, be going for something bigger, perhaps a change of use. And planning gain is a known quick route to uplift a property or land. Everybody understands that. But until you try to get planning permission, you may not be fully aware of the vagaries, the ever-changing rules, and the real importance of understanding how it all works. I know if you all refuse planning permission, you can resubmit. You can put in a new tweaked version of it or even go to appeal. But that costs time and time erodes the profit for smaller developers and investors because we want to get in and out as quickly as possible. Many of those who work with me use planning to make significant uplifts on their properties that they want to flip or to be able to develop out a plot of land. And don't forget that the planning on one of my projects, which I always talk about, cost 5000 and gave me a £100,000 uplift. Now, that's not to be sniffed at. Planning is, I think, one of the most stressful things that my accountability clients go through. The weeks between submission and the decision drags, and that's real hand-holding time. But it's also very inspiring to hear the property profit is not always physical because some of my clients prefer paperwork to bricks and mortar. You know, Their skill is in spotting the potential in the building and then having the right planning consultant in their power team to push it through. Now, if you don't think you're getting the most out of your property business and or you think you need a reboot or you need to approach your future in a more strategic way, then book a discovery call with me and let's see how I can work with you to turbocharge your success. Because I'm a fan of plain speaking and supporting you during these worrying times when working on your own can be lonely and nerve wracking. But anyway, if you want to work to know more about working with me, go to my website, racheltroughton.com, and don't forget I spell my name R-A-C-H-A-E-L, or contact me via the social media links. They're all in the show notes. Let's get a Zoom call booked in and see what we can do. By the way, before I introduce Linda, I first met Linda when she came to speak at the Bucks Property Meet that I co-hosted. I've heard her speak many times over the years, and hearing about planning is never, ever dull and dusty with her. She's very much still practicing her craft, and she can be found lecturing on the subject, advising clients, and building her YouTube channel. Well, Linda, welcome to the Property Solopreneur. And for those who've never met you, and if you haven't met Linda, where have you been? Who are you and what do you do? Who am I? Well, we've not got long enough, really, to explain that. My name is Linda Wright. Married, the name Wright comes from second ex husband. I thought I'd married Mr. Wright, but he turned out not to be. So, you know, that's my, but I kept the name because <laughs> I thought, oh, well, crack on with that. And I did actually set up planning consultancy. I'm a planning consultant. 
I help people get planning permission. I've been in the planning sector for decades. I help people get planning permission. I um, I don't work for the council. I can't exactly say I work against the council, but I work on behalf of the client to help get through the planning red tape, the maze that is planning. I set up 13 years, 14 years ago, I set up uh, Plan It Right after I got made redundant. See what I did there, Plan It Right. So I make a bit of money <laughs> off the ex-husband's name. But then sadly, Plan It Right didn't make it through the pandemic because there was just a lot going on. And, you know, so having said that, I've now set up a new consultancy called Katana Planning. Katana is a Japanese samurai sword, double-edged samurai sword. So I thought Ooh. the strap line for this would not be married Mr. Right turned out not to be. The strap line for this would be slashing through the planning red tape. So that's me, Linda Wright. Been doing this for what? decades. Yeah. We're now running Katana Planning. Well, that's fantastic because my first question was going to be, you know, planning is it, is it a dark art or is it a science? Well, it's a dark art combined with a bit of comedic levity from time to time. Sometimes you do look at things and you just think, I can't believe that has happened. So yeah, it is a bit of a dark art. You do need to know what you're doing. If you don't know what you're doing, you can get pulled from pillar to post between various professionals. You can also get pulled into all sorts of things by council officers and councillors as well. Sometimes some elected members sort of start thinking that they're going to make the decisions all on their own. And that is not exactly how it works. No, it isn't. And most people in property who are investors and small developers get in, you know, either by accident or because they can see that this is really going to make them money. Um, and they go to property meets and they get top level information, which they absorb and think, yeah, I know all there is to know about it. PD, how, how difficult can it be? Why should people who want to make money and want to get everything passed first time have someone like you on their power team? It's a very good question. I was once speaking, everybody knows the property investor network that was set up by Simon Zucci. And I was once speaking at the PIN Mastermind program. People pay shed loads of money for this stuff. Anyhow, so I was I was there on stage and I'm speaking. There were all lots of people sitting in round tables. And a guy came to me afterwards, after I'd finished speaking, and said, thank you very much. He said, that was fabulous. Thank you very much. That's very kind of you. And he said, but he said, about sort of five, 10 minutes in, he said, I put my pen down. And I thought, oh, I said, oh, well, I'm sorry. Why did you? Not? Oh, I said no. I said I just thought this is a waste of time. And I thought, no. What did I say? And he said, Oh no, waste of waste of time. He said, I'm not making notes. He said, If I need planning consultant, he said, I'm just going to phone you. He said, I'm not learning all yes. of this stuff. He said because I can't. He said I know a lot of other stuff about other things, but he said I can't do all of this as well. So he said, I'm just I'm just going to come to you. So I thought, oh, well, it's started off really yes. badly. But then I thought, oh, right, okay. You you do need a planning. Well, I would say that, wouldn't I? Because I'm a planning consultant. But architects, if you go yes. to an architect, there are a lot of architectural companies, bigger companies, who will have planners within that company. 
Architecture and planning are very different disciplines. Architecture will design you a building. They will give you what you want for that building, if it's a new building, or they'll convert an existing building. Um, and they know about buildings and structures and foundations and RSJs and cantilevers and all of it, the stuff that I don't know anything about. And they will make sure that your building stands up. And I, I don't want to slag architects off, but I am now about to. So <laughs> yikes, architects tend to look at a building like this and nothing else exists around it. And so what planning consultants do is they look at the impact that that building will have on the surrounding area, on the amenities, on the people who live there, all sorts of things like that. So it's about whether that building will fit in, whether it will work with everything else mm -hmm. that goes around it. So that's kind of, you know, from a transport point of view, from a noise point of view, from a contamination land, from a, a flood risk point of view, all of these from a wildlife and habitat. So that is kind of, what a planning consultant's remit is. What we found, because we've done a big project where we used a planning consultant, was he was able to say that won't, that idea won't fit into the local scheme. And he knew the local area and the, and the wrinkles. Because am I right in thinking that you know, we've got a national plan? What's going to happen plan-wise nationally? And then you've got a local, and then you've got a neighbourhood yeah. plan. Well, it, it's even more complicated than and that, to be honest. You get... You're quite right. Layers. It's tiers. Oh, God, no, we can't mention tiers after COVID, can we? So it's, <laughs> it's central government legislation. We've got, that's the top tier. And yep. we've recently had in October, end of October, the Leveling Up and Regeneration Act has now come in. Whole host of new stuff. So there is a top tier, the central government, central le national legislation. So that is the drop down for everything else. Then you have, and we're going to have, we'll look a little update here, in the next, before Christmas, in, prob in fact, probably next week, the new national planning policy framework, which is the next tier, well, oh, exactly, the next tier down from your national legislation. So it's meant to be guidance, but it's it's it it, it right. has a lot of weight. It's got a lot of clout to it. So you're supposed to adhere to that. So from the National Planning Policy Framework and the Leveling Up and Regeneration Act is a framework. And then we've got the National Planning Policy Framework. Then we have this guidance online, which goes on for days. But then you're quite right. We have local, we have 300 nod local planning authorities, local councils, who all make their own local plans, core strategies and local plans. Now, the reason for that is what's called local distinctiveness, because what you might be able to build, expect to build in Birmingham, you're not going to build in Cotswolds. Yeah. So it's, it's very much yeah. local distinctiveness. So those local plans will be provided. There'll also be lots of other supplementary planning documents that councils will produce. And then, yes, you're quite right, it then filters down to neighbourhood plans for those councils and for those neighbourhoods that have got together and got their act together, basically, to do a neighbourhood plan. So there are so many different levels and tiers and all sorts of other bits of legislation, such as the wildlife. And that those really can scupper an idea. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm on the uh, parish council. We 
we did get a group together. We have had our neighbourhood plan approved. In fact, we are now ju- we've had it done. Uh, we are now just about to start the renewal process for the second time because it. But I think many people are amazed that it. It takes a lot of action to get a group of, of, of air, people who have nothing to do with life, really, to say what they do value in their community and what they want to see out of it. And then to realise that that still doesn't mean that even though you've, you've got one, that things absolutely will adhere to it because there, it's, it's top trumps, isn't it? It's, when you're it's meant to be a, a guiding hand. And there's that old saying, isn't there, mm. that, that rules are... For the blind observance, oh, oh, for the for the guidance of wise men and the blind observance of fools. And if you look at it from that point yeah. of view, you can't. You, you know, life is just not that rigid, and things change and shift, and no. there's trends. And you know, there's the, who who knew about the Airbnb trend ten years ago? Yeah, nobody knew about yeah. that. And, and I understand that that's something I understand that there is there is consultation oh, going through, yes. isn't it? If you hear the words consultation from government, should that strike fear into our hearts as property investors or or not? not? Because, to be perfectly honest, consultations can go on. And actually, this one, I think, ended in June. So it's not exactly that things are going to be immediately changed. A consultation is just that. And a lot of consultations die a death. They, 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 oh, oh, yeah. Oh, really? Uh, right. I mean, they bring something out, but it's nothing like the original consultation. And yes, there has been a consultation issued the short term lets, holiday lets. I, I don't really want to call them Airbnb because other facilities are That's available. The, yes, it's yes. just a software yeah. system. So the Airbnb type. The ho- short-term holiday lets is what central government are calling them. There was a consultation to say that there will be permitted development rights. Seriously? And I thought, well, this is going to be prior approval. You, you're still going to have to apply to the council, I suspect. However, they might yep. they might decide to do it on the basis of, you know, you can change a house to a, a small HMO. They might do it on that basis. Yep. So that... Councils don't have to bother with planning applications. They just go, oh, go away. You can go ahead and do it. (laughs) Well, because councils haven't got the resources at the moment. So it's just permitted development. Just go ahead and do it. But the problem is in the Greater London Authority boroughs, they are suffering because you take um, a a short-term housing uh, holiday let, and if you use that for holiday lets, which obviously people want to Airbnb to go to London, you take that out of the full-time housing stock. And as we know, housing delivery at yeah. the moment is on its knees. So from that point of view, but, yeah. but this consultation that has not come out into any legislation yet is about using permitted, introducing permitted development rights for short-term holiday lets. Now, you know what's going to happen now. As with the HMOs, councils will issue Article 4 directions. So I would expect yes. that on a lot of especially London Authority uh, councils, there will be an Article 4 direction on someone's desk ready to go to say, no, we we are removing yeah. the permitted development rights for uh, short-term holiday lets, and no, you cannot do them under full, whether they're full or prior approval. It's unknown yet. Nobody knows. But yes, there is. And I was banging on about this for years, that there should be a new use class 
we've got C3 for housing, yep. C4 for small HMOs. I said, where's the C5? Well, there's going to be a C5. Yep. Well, if, if the, if the, if the consultation comes to fruition, but that's what I fully expect a uh, use class C5 for short term holiday lets. Now, what the terms of that, what the fine detail of that will be, nobody knows yet, but it's, it's coming. It's probably not before Christmas, probably into the new year. Fantastic. Well, that, that's sort of helping us understand that. And you mentioned the word prior approval. That again strikes absolute fear into some people in that there are those who go, I, I'm going to have to go to prior approval because that will mean I'll definitely get it through. And there are those who go, whoa, not going to prior approval because that just means I'm flagging something up and that could be a no straight away. What is prior approval actually for and when should you use it? There's prior approval for lots of different things. So prior approval in the planning legislation is badged. This is why when I do my presentations, I use an image of a wolf in sheep's clothing. And it, it seriously, you, you need to be very careful of this because lots of people, and it's central government's fault, they should stop it. And they call it permitted development. Well, it's not. It's not permitted development yeah. rights. Yes, it's, it's not a full planning. It's a hybrid is what it is. It's not a full planning yeah. application. It's not completely permitted it's somewhere in between you get you get a sort of a get out of jail free card for certain elements of it so it's a hybrid but you still it does what it says on the tin you have to go to the council for yep. their prior approval and when it says prior approval it means pr you cannot start the work I get loads of people coming to me and saying, well, I've started this and I've done that. Well, get me prior approval. You've started it. So yeah. there's actually a question on the form that says, has the work commenced? It does. Yeah. And if it's a, if you put a tick in the yes box, it's a, <clears throat> if you put no, you're fine. It doesn't meet the criteria. So you have to go to the council for their prior approval. A lot of these things it started in 2030. Actually, prior approvals have been going for telecoms, base stations for years. And I dealt with that. I, I won't get into that. But for this, that a lot of investors will know now, 2013, there was a temporary measure that said you can convert yep. offices to residential flats. And everybody said, woof, right, buying up office buildings left, right and centre. Right so... That was the start of this. Now there's there's lots of other things. There's farm buildings, there's industrial, there's all sorts of things that have changed. So you can apply, and I can't, you know, if it, if I were to list them all, we'd be here all day. Oh, we'd be here so, all day. So yes. prior approval, do be careful. If somebody says it's permitted development, do just ask, really? Is it permitted development or is it prior approval? So prior approval means you go to the council for it is a, an application, you now have to submit way more information than you ever had to do. And you have to pay a huge council fee for it as well. It's no longer, it used to be 96 quid and you could do 100 flats. No, 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 that doesn't happen. Yes. So you have to go to no, the council no. for their prior approval. That does not mean it's a rubber stamp job. Because councils can very no. easily refuse to grant prior approval or they can also, I had one client go, 
sure they can't do that because it was granted prior approval, but there were conditions. And they had decided in their head, no, 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 um, you can't put conditions on a prior approval. Uh, yes, you can. They didn't used to when the prior approvals came out because councils didn't know how to operate these things. No, so they're getting, they're getting, they're more, getting savvy. more savvy. And they're putting conditions on these things. Now, prior approval, there's also something that you can put a single story extension on the back of your house, either a detached eight metres out. I mean, that's a big lump of space. Eight metres, single storey out the back on a detached six metres if it's a, a terrace or a, a semi. Now, that is a prior approval process. Lots of people go to me, oh, well, permitted development is just three metres here and four, me four metres out. And I go, well, have you thought about the prior approval process? If you've got a detached house, you can go eight metres. And they go, eh? what? Lots of people don't know anything about yeah. it. Council have 42 days in which to decide and single-storey rear extension. Get in. Now, 56 days used to be, I'll give you time to talk in a minute. No, I'm <laughs> Sorry. sitting here thinking, no wonder we actually need to talk to people like you more often. And people okay. who do know what they're talking about, please, there's lots of charlatans out there. So there is, lots of people come to me and say, oh, well, submit the prior approval and they have to deal with the council, have to deal with it on 56 days. Otherwise, on day 57, I can claim it. Now, I talked about this for years because it was the case under the old system. Now, there are still certain ones that you can do under the old system, but generally now central government have said, look, councils can ask for more advice, so if they, uh, more information. So if they ask you for more information and they say, will you agree to an extension of time? If you agree to an extension of time, then by mutual agreement, you, you can extend the 56 days. And if it means at the end of it, you know, people have a bit of a stamping fit and going, really, I want my decision in 56 days. Well, if it means a refusal in 56 days, yes, you can have it. If you give them another two weeks and you, or three weeks or whatever it is, and you submit a bit more information, then maybe it's better to extend it a bit, get an approval and then move on from there. So that's where, but I mean, all of these things are a lot more expensive now because as of Wednesday, all of the planning fees went up by 35%. Not the household, householder went up by 25%, but all of the planning fees are now increased by 35%. The theory behind this is that it's to fund planning departments and you'll get a quicker decision. That's a nice theory, isn't it? Yes. But it will also, I think, stop some of these people who are just putting in constant planning applications and hoping something will land and get a tick, which then sort of clogs. Yeah. Yes. And also the other thing, of course, was that we were getting to the point where those who'd done planning for a while, as in small developers, realizing that all you have to do is just go, oh, it was refused. Right. I, re I appeal. I appeal. I appeal. Because councils are running out of money. So they just couldn't go to appeals. So this is going to change some of that. Now, you know, to the average person, they're going to go, whoopee, that's amazing. We don't want, you know, all those horrid developers because all developers, no matter how small, and if you are a small developer, you might only be building one house. They are always viewed as the devil incarnate by homeowners and those who live in small communities. So this might be a good thing. But 
What, in your view, because I, I use the word small developer, though, is there, a, is there a definition of what a small developer is? Is it one building? Is it 20? No, I mean, the, from a planning point of view, a small developer, there's no definition. But a small development, now, generally, right. it will depend on the square meterage or the size of the development. But generally, the rule of thumb is that 10 dwellings or less is and this is just for the purposes of a planning application, 10 dwellings or less, if you're doing dwellings or a certain size, if it's industrial, for example. And it, it, it depends. Some councils interpret that differently. But for example, for residential, 10 dwellings can be classed as a small development. And you're likely, the target date to get a decision is eight weeks. Well, I'm sorry, but it's just not happening right. these days. If you go over that and it's more than 10, say it's 12 or 15, then the target date for decision is 13 weeks. So the difference is only five weeks. That's the only real definition. Now, if it's a major development, you might have contributions and all sorts of additional things. That you, and you might have to, uh, over a certain threshold, you might have to provide affordable housing. So there's all sorts of, whether it's a small development or a large development, there's no definition of what a small or medium-sized developer is. It's all about the development size for planning purposes. All ah, right. And following on about council, because of course people forget that they, they are powerful and they are the yes and noers in this. This whole thing. I've heard, uh, and I'm sure you're going to back it, that councils are now starting to be able to refuse if a developer is slow to construct or take up the approval. Does that mean people can't just sit on stuff? No. This, I suspect, and I think from people that I talk to and barristers and people who are far cleverer than me, it is allegedly to prevent land banking. Now, the, there's right. been reports and developers say, land bank well of course you do because you have to have a projected development plan exactly and if you haven't got that then you're not yes. doing your business you're doing your business a disservice so this whole business of there isn't there's no such thing as land banking it's rubbish as far as i'm concerned there has to be so the theory is that not so much to prevent land banking because your planning permission generally a full planning permission generally only lasts for three years. So it's not really going to help you an awful lot. But the idea is, is if that someone comes along, commences a development, for example, and puts foundations in and builds up to sort of sill height of the, of the ground floor and then disappears and goes off to another area and starts to build another site and just leaves that in mothballs. And this does happen. And then and then they come back yes. and they do a bit more. And it, it goes, it rolls on for years because once you've made a meaningful start, commence the development, it, it's kept in perpetuity. So what this is, my interpretation, it is to stop that keeping things in perpetuity. If you build out at an extraordinarily slow rate, the council are going to have, they've not yet, it's its handed down in set, it's going to need loads of backup, shed loads of backup legislation, shed <laughs> loads. So they're going to be able to say to you, do you know what? You didn't build that out quickly enough. So do you know what? We're not going to deal with this application. Now that mm, that's something that's never been done before. There are also, if a developer has come along got a planning permission, it's been granted, they've sat on it and they haven't implemented it, 
then again, the council will have the right to say, no, we're not even entertaining an application from you. Now, I don't know of many people who, having got planning permission, don't actually take it up, but there are some. And so I'm thinking this is a very small percentage, but if that's what central government think might help, I'm not convinced myself, but that's what's going to happen. But it's a bit of a a warning shot across the bows. If you get planning permission, don't muck about with this. This is not, you know, this is not the 1980s. Don't muck about with it. Build it. Build it out in a timely fashion and let's move on and let's get these, if it's housing, housing delivered. So that's what it's all going to be. Absolutely. So this also has an effect that if you are someone who likes to get the land, then put planning on it and then sell out at that point, that is also telling you that you're not to sit around on your fingers. You've got to get a wiggle on and get it sold out. Exactly. And there's a lot of people, there a lot of companies, I know of one in, in the area, who will get planning permission and flip them. I mean, they're purely speculative. They're not that speculative because yes. they do their homework. But then they they are not the developers. They will then put this out to auction and or whatever for sale and say, look, we've got this. We've got 100 houses approved on this. What are you going to offer us? Yes, I know. As a, as a parish councillor, we've dealt with two such schemes like that in in the parish, and it it is to a certain degree. I can see where the government's coming from because it also creates quite a lot of uncertainty from the local community because they were dealing with developer A who they liked and who probably was very locally based and they loved him and they liked his you know what he was going to do and the trees and all the birds and all the rest of it, and then suddenly he's selling it and it's somebody from up, from up north or down south and don't know anything about him. And this will perhaps help give some sort of stability and and get things moving a little bit. I'm not sure it's intended for that, but... No, it may not be, but I think we've interpreted it locally. But what what everybody... And I was was saying this to um, a client I was meeting this morning. What everybody needs to realise, and perhaps objectors and locals and parish councils need to realise, is that planning permission lies with the land. And my client was offering to make all sorts of promises and and bits and and I said, no, because the council cannot put those promises into a formal condition and they cannot put a condition in and say, thou shalt only develop this land with builder A. Oh, and builder B, builder B is not invited to the party. So they can't do that because they can't. In, there's no, nice. there's no powers for them to enforce that. So just because one party gets planning permission, the permission lies with the land. So if he gets permission for a hundred houses in a lovely, beautiful brick, and then build B comes along and says, "Well, those those bricks are too expensive. We're going to build the cheaper, nasty stuff." So. It lies with the land. Absolutely. And, you know, I think the other thing is that people have got to remember that there are other things called planning rules for turning things down. It's not about going, I'm objecting this because my view would have gone. I'm going to object to this because, and they come up with some really weird and wonderful things. You Just because you've written in to object against a scheme or a project doesn't mean to say it's a valid objection, does it? No. If you're going to object to something, you have, first of all, you've no, absolutely no right to a view. So forget that. It'll devalue my house. Rubbish. Nobody cares. Move on. I mean, you might care, but from in planning (laughs) terms, 
it's not an ink, you know, the commerciality yeah. and the house values cannot come into it. So if you are going to object to something, you have to do it on valid planning grounds. Noise, disturbance, dominant impact, overshadowing, all of these things go into the mix. But no, value of house and right to a view, no such thing. Absolutely. And that tends to come in often when a bill's underway and they put in a, a retrospective planning alteration. And suddenly every man and his dog has become you know, a specialist knowledge on this subject and writes in to the council. And of course, the great thing is now you can see it all online, can't you? Oh, yes. There's no hiding place. There's no hiding place. You may not know who's written in, but you, you can generally get the gist of what they're saying as to who it probably is. And again, I was with a group of people who were somewhat startled when we had a local planning officer come and he went, yes, you're quite right. There have been a hundred objections, but I'm only actually going to take two of those on board because the rest are not objections legally. Absolutely. And that is something people have got to realise. And if you are a, a new, if you're new to property investing and you think that you, the world has fallen down because you've gone online and found that a hundred people are against you, that may not be the case. Not necessarily. No, absolutely. You might well find that thing, things go your way. But we're sounding very gloomy here. There are some really amazing things. So you did mention the levelling up bill that seems to have been, we've, we've heard it a lot on the news. I mean, what is it? How do you level up? Well, myself and my fellow planning geeks on social media, mainly LinkedIn, have had lots of fun with this. And we've been, because it's been levelling up and regeneration bill for months and months and months, well, years actually, it's taken 17 months for the bill to go through between the commons and the lords and backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards. So this whole business of speeding up the planning system, well, they need to look, put their own house in order before they start talking about pointing fingers at local councils. So the levelling up and regeneration bill, or LURB, we have lots of fun with this. What's LURB <laughs> got to do with it? And the whole Tina Turner reference and everything like that. So we, we've had lots of fun with that. But now, now it's been on the 26th of October, it received royal assent. So it's the new planning. There are still the old 1990 planning acts. They're still rumbling around. They missed the opportunity to consolidate everything. The government are, are good at this. They they tack things on and you yeah. end up having to go back and look at that as well as this. And then a bit of that. And oh, it's a bit of a mess. So the LURB, the levelling up and regenerate, because that's what they call the new, what used to be in a, a million years of the office of the deputy prime minister. So it's all the environment sort of stuff and housing. So it's levelling up and regeneration act now because it has been enacted, it's received royal assent. Now from this, we it's a framework. So we will now have this cascade of lots of other secondary legislation to implement all of what has been put in the new Act. Now, quite frankly, this is probably going to take about a decade. And part four, <laughs> yeah, no, honestly, uh, and part, never I'll probably be dead by then, so it won't matter. So they're talking about all of this stuff that's, oh, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. But yes, but you need more legislation to bring that into fruition. So there's lots of stuff like speeding up and digitizing of the planning system, which means that there will wow. be 
hybrid uh, because there's, there's been this whole big argument about when there was lockdown, you could make representations, and I did it myself, to planning committees via Zoom and Teams and all sorts of things. So you didn't actually have to be in the room, which was marvellous. Yeah, because it takes the whole morning for three minutes, doesn't oh, it? Oh, exactly. It, I mean, I've sat in committee, should it be nameless? No, Liverpool. I've I've got, uh, they will not bring <laughs> the agenda items forward. I've sat, I've got into the council chamber at nine o'clock in the morning and my item has not come onto the agenda until six o'clock at night. <sighs> and they will not bring it forward. Honestly, it's just ridiculous. So... But they're talking about this digital, and there was this whole hoo-ha backwards and forwards between the Commons and the Lords saying, nope, 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 we're not did. Nope, you have to be in the room to represent. No. So they've now got this hybrid, again, system where some representations can be made. And uh, I mean, lots of council meetings now are live streamed. So, you know, they're, they're gradually dragging themselves into the 21st century, but not with ease nor good grace, to be perfectly honest. So that's digitising and, and speeding up the planning system. But then they talk about new local plans. Oh, and the new local plans are going to have to be done in a 30-month window. And I... I oh, my word. Say, that sounds fascinating. Hang on a minute. Yeah, I know, because I'm, I'm dealing with local plans that are 20 years old in some cases. Yes, exactly, uh, yes. I said, 30, zero, two... Isn't that two and a half years? So I, said, I thought, 13 months? No, 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 13 months, so two and a half years. And as we know, everything changes. The housing situation changes. You know, Airbnb and, and yeah. um, the service accommodation changes and the, everything. There's lots of trending things going on. So as far as I'm concerned, it, it's still not really going to keep up with real life. Yes, and real life is is always lagging behind. And you know, as I say, being a parish councillor, I'm part of the lowest elected part of the planning system. And you know, we, for instance, oh, oh, don't say that about yourself. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love I love the fact that I am an elected member of planning, but uh, you know, which is great. But one of the things I really enjoy, and and I know my fellow councillors do, is that. We have a budget now full of SIL and um, Section 106 money. Oh, yeah. And we get to spend that. And for our little part of the United Kingdom, it's really quite significant. We're, we're very happy to. And I think most people don't realise, especially when they come new into property, that there are these extra taxes that have to be paid. So what exactly is SIL to the uninitiated? Right. Now, and this is one of the big changes in the new... I hate keep saying levelling up and regeneration act. Lura, <laughs> the Lura levelling up act. So this is one of the new things. At the moment, we have this two-pronged, it's not exactly a tier, two-pronged system because the community infrastructure levy yep. or SIL is a tax. It's a roof tax. It started really in Milton Keynes sort of thing. Wow. And it was easy to do there. So it was. It, it's a roof tax. It is... But unfortunately, it well, unfortunately, it's not mandatory. So all councils don't have to use the system. So you have to actually look and be very careful because whereas one council in one place might use it, the yeah. next door council won't. Manchester is a classic example. They've said, we don't need to sell. We get enough money from Section 106 agreements. So years ago, 
when I worked for the Home Builders Federation, this was all going round and round and round. And eventually, house builders said, well, hang on a minute, we've got, we've just about got to grips with Section 106 agreement. So we don't want the community infrastructure levy. Can we just leave it as it is? So what's happened is all councils will have some level of Section 106 contributions. Yeah. And no, I'm going to say this. I have to say this because I, I say this every time I speak to developers or solicitors or wh- wherever I'm, I'm training. A lot of people talk about planning gain. And as investors, they get very excited. Ooh, I, go, tell you, oh, I get the it's the, it's the money. It's the money I'm going to make. Oh, no, no, no. It's so no, exciting. Please don't. Yes, please don't do this <laughs> because it's not about the money that you are going to trouser when you build or convert or do whatever. If you go to planning officers and start talking about planning gain, they mean planning gain for the benefit of the community. Yes. I.e., if you build something, what are you going to give the community? Not in exchange. It's blackmail, basically. It is. It's section. Yes. There's no if you want this, you've got to give that. If you want to build 100 houses, we need a new traffic light control junction or a new doctor's surgery, or a new nursery. Yeah. But it is it is to facilitate that development, and it has to be related to that development. So that's Section 106 agreements. The Section 106 agreements now do work quite well. They're quite cumbersome, and they take forever to get sorted out. But that's the Section 106 agreement. So that is where you might be asked to do affordable housing, um, contributions to plant trees, Nurseries used to be libraries. Well, there's nobody's bothering about libraries anymore. So that's the kind of thing that you do for Section 106 grant. And it is negotiable. In certain circumstances, if you feel that, well, you can't provide 30% affordable, you can only do 25%. So that can be negotiated with the council. You won't always get your way, but you can negotiate. The community infrastructure levy is the same thing. It's contributions, but it is not negotiable. There is a charging schedule on the council's website, and it is a fixed tariff. So if it says £50, and it's it's based on per square metre, so if it's 20 quid per square metre, that is what you will have to pay if you are developing so many square meters. So that's the difference. And if you are in the Greater London authorities, 33 Greater London authorities, there is something called the London Mayoral Sill, oh my which God. is to pay for the Crossrail project. Yes. So if you are, for example, I don't know, Bromley. Bromley, if you do new development, and it's usually uh, over 100 square metres, anything under 100 square metres, you tend not to have to pay. But be careful because not every council adheres to that, but it tends to be that. If you develop something over 100 square metres, say, I don't know, 1,000 square metres or whatever it is, you will have to, there will be a sill liability for the London mayor to right. pay the crossroads. There will also, because Bromley as a local council also have a community infrastructure charging sheet. So you would have to pay the London mayoral 
the community infrastructure levy if you are doing something that requires contributions under Section 106 agreement, you might have to pay Section 106 agreement as well. So there's quite a lot of payments going on there. There's a lot of payments going on there. And what I think everyone also forgets, if you've never done it before, is this isn't something you pay once everything is done, dusted, and the money's back in the bank of profit. This is a frontline cost, isn't it? Well, it is for the community infrastructure levy. Now, You can, and I have on occasion, when I used to work for volume house builders, you can schedule payments. If, for example, you're building 100 houses, and generally, as soon as you put a a spade in the ground, the council will say, right, we'll have all of this money for all of these 100 houses. Now, what you can do now, and volume house builders do do this and say, look, we're going to have to put all the infrastructure in, all the drains, all the sewage, all the sewage pipes, the road, everything. So that's a massive outlay. And then we're going to build sort of five or six houses and one's going to be a show house and we're going to put a lady in a, a, a double garage to sell the houses. And so, so until they're sort of quite well on with an estate of houses, the builders don't tend to start making any money. So what you can do is, for example, say, right, once we've built the first 15, 20%, then we'll pay you a percentage of what we owe. Right. And then once we've built another percentage, another up to 50%, then we'll pay you another lot. So it's it's phased payments. So don't, you know, if there's anybody out there looking at paying Section 106 agreements, you can't try and renegotiate it laterally you can't retrofit it but if if you have someone who is advising you and and they know what they're doing then they can have phased these payments now each council will some councils will go yeah that's fine other councils will go no we want it all up front but it would be very it would be very unreasonable of councils to say no we want it all if they're going to get it at the end of the day then you can phase it and you can do it on percentages you can do it on number of houses you can say well the week will give you an initial deposit before we start and then once we've built 10 houses will pay something, 20 houses will pay, and do it as you go along rather than paying everything up front. But community infrastructure levy, as soon as you start, there are phased payments for community infrastructure levy as well at the moment. However, the whole LURA, the Leveling Up and Regeneration Act, there is now going to be a new infrastructure levy which is going to combine SIL and Section 106 agreements. Now, they've tried this before, and it, it went horribly wrong. And and they've tinkered with SIL every year for the past several years, and it's all it's a bit messy. So what they're proposing to do is to bring everything into one infrastructure levy. However, in order to do that, there's going to have to be secondary legislation. Then each council will have to do an infrastructure levy plan, which is going to have to go to examination in public, be consulted upon. This is going to take 10 years. It is, isn't it? Absolutely. So we'll just have to take it on the chin that if you're making money in property, there are charges that you will have to pay as you go along. And that as, as so much in property, you know, your profit is quite a long way over the horizon. Oh, yes. 
and you've got to make sure you get it all right. So uh, sadly, we can't sit and talk about this all day because it is a truly, truly fascinating subject. And I do wish that people would would come and find more, you know, you more often because you know. Thank you. As I talk, more questions come into my mind, and I think, why do more people not know? But of course, you can't learn all this stuff. You took degrees in this, and and you know, it's an ongoing subject. If you have basically anything that's remotely complicated or you think there's going to be information, you are definitely someone that should be on the power team. What stands out for you, the sort of nightmares that you find people bring you that it's just too late for you to deal with and they should have come to you much earlier? Do you have clients like that? Yes. (laughs) Oh dear, that's a nightmare for them then. Just this week. And uh, I tend to get um, telephone calls and I do get people in tears who say, please help me. And I go, I would love to, but I can't. It's too late. It's a bit like, and I say this and people say, oh, you can't say that. I I can say what I want. It's a bit like playing poker. Right. Once you have shown the council, and I shouldn't say this to you because you're a parish councillor, but once you have shown the council your hand. Yes. And and sometimes if you, if you throw everything at council all at once yeah. and go, there you go. That's what I want to do. At the end of this pair, I want to have 150 houses up that hillside into the green belt and bet, bet, bet. You know, so you, you don't do that. If you strategize, and that's kind of what I call myself, a planning strategist rather than a consultant, because this is all that I do. And that's what I was doing in the meeting this morning. It's a strategy about, look, the council can deal with this bit. So let's, ask them to deal with this and, and get a decision on that. Then if you want to move forward and, and look at that, but it's not always housing, it's industrial, commercial, agricultural. Also. It could be anything, can't it? Yeah. yeah. Then we move forward and look at that. And then we can, as a whole, go further forward and look. at. So it, it, it is about strategizing. And there are all sorts of things. The prior approval is a, is a prime example. If someone has gone ahead and started development and they then come to me and say, can you get prior approval? The answer is no. And I, I don't lead people down the garden path. I won't say it. there are a lot of consultants out there who will say, oh, yeah, leave it with me. It'll be fine. Well, it's not that, you know, I like to sleep at night. I, I don't, I don't want to lie to people. I'd like to sleep at night. So, and, but it makes me a very poor planning consultant, but there we go. But there are lots of things where if people have started things, now that's on the development side. A lot of other things, if I say to people, please do not go to an auction with a pocket full of money or an investor and get paddle excited and go and buy something because a lot of the times a a classic example and if you need to shut me up at any point just say so a classic example is where somebody will call me from abroad say and I get lots of weird and wonderful telephone calls from Australia and Dubai and, and Spain and you think oh hello how did you oh I saw you speak and they've remembered me from years gone by it's quite odd and he came on to me and he said um I've got this property in Liverpool. Right. Okay. And I said, right, did you buy it direct from, because this is important because I need to know if you can get some information out of the vendor or if it's been bought through an agent and the vendor's away or deceased or whatever. And he said, well, the property's in Liverpool. I bought it at auction in London. Ah, yes. Instantly instantly alarm bells. 
any property that you find on an auction site in London and it's up north, automatically alarm bells ring. There's something pinky with it. There's something not quite right. And quite honestly, there was something not quite right with this. Now, he thought he was going to go down one path. And I said, no, you can't do that. We can do this. So ultimately, I did manage to get him planning permission, but by the skin of his teeth. Yes. Because for anybody listening to this, if you're looking, going to auction in London and it's for a property up north, beware. Because as soon as you bought the property, the vendor will be away in Barbados on a beach sipping a cocktail at your expense and you will not be able to get information, the drastic and defining information that you need to get planning permission. And uh, one of the big things with HMOs, ah, yes. a lot of people, a lot of people, because I train conveyancing solicitors as well, and conveyancing solicitors say they get clients come in and say, well, I've got an HMO license. Yeah. Congratulations. It's got eight people in it. Did you ha- also get planning permission to go with that license? Uh, well, no. But I mean, if that council have given me a license, then that same council clearly are going to give me planning permission, aren't they? No. 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 One side we doesn't talk to the other side of the council. Exactly. And it's completely different sets of legislation. And people make assumptions or they take advice from the bloke at the end of the bar in the pub. Yeah. And unless he's got a planning degree, it just doesn't work. It doesn't work, does it? No, I think it's, and it really is a case of, to be quite honest, there's a lot of money to be made in this industry. A lot of money to be lost. And you have got to realise that you have to professionalise. And if you you're, if you are the investor and you don't have this knowledge, you have got to go and get it. It's the same as going to a structural engineer or anything else. It, you know, knowing that you can get this stuff through first time is worth its weight in gold. Now, where do people find you, Linda, if they want to, you know, social media? Yes, yeah, social media is, is probably, LinkedIn is probably the best place. I keep meaning to have a website set up for my new Katana planning. Well, I just keep getting busy. I keep getting people asking, what about this? What about that? So um, LinkedIn is your is your preferred place? LinkedIn, if you want to send me an email, linda at katanaplanning.co.uk, and that's K-A-T-A-N-A, like banana. But with K. But with a K and a T. <laughs> K and a T. Because it would be kanan, kanana. No, so it's katanaplanning.co.uk. On LinkedIn, has got my telephone number. You can send me a WhatsApp. You can send me a text message. Nobody sends text messages. Any. I get voice notes on WhatsApp. That's what I get at the moment, voice notes on WhatsApp or lots of messages on, on LinkedIn. I'm not, do you know what? Since they changed Twitter to X, oh, don't I don't no, I don't particularly want to use it anymore. No, no, no it's not the same, is it? No. So I'm just it's 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 LinkedIn men, like, and that's how this absolutely. Well, Linda, thank you so much for you know for taking this, time this afternoon to to do this because yes, thank you for asking. You're a very busy person, and um, you whiz all over the country lecturing and teaching and things. So thank you very much. Don't forget, I'm in Birmingham at Ming. I shouldn't advertise it on here, but yes, 11th. Now, if your viewers, listeners, what have you, want to hear more about planning, uh, if you type in the planning pundit ah, yeah. into YouTube. That's you, is it? That's me. I do. Uh, there's, 
There's a few videos on there. I, I thought I might get more subscribers, to be honest, but I'm quite disappointed I haven't. So I've, I've done a few videos on there, but I am intending to do more. I got too busy and uh, I just couldn't it takes keep up time. with it all. It takes time to get the, the stain rolling. So uh, it keep going. But thank you very much. Lovely to talk to you, Rachel. Thank you for listening to The Property Solopreneur with me, Rachel Troughton. If you've enjoyed this episode, do hit subscribe and kindly leave a review and share this podcast with anyone you think it would help on their property journey. If you'd like to get hold of my guide for building a successful property business, go to racheltroughton.com forward slash checklist. We only live one life. So let's get your dream a reality through building a profitable property business.